Welcome back, everyone, to a very special episode of Klee Talk presented by Fenley Road Sports. I'm saying that special because today is our centennial episode, our 100th episode. We are now uh, entering triple digits here at Klee Talk. If you include our uh, original podcast, that is, uh, when we were What Are You Talking About, which kind of transitioned into Klee Talk, we have done over 100 episodes now, which is fantastic really impressive. I uh, thank anybody that is listening and everyone that has supported us. Uh, It's been super fun and I'm really glad to be bringing you guys uh, a number 100 today, previewing some Cleveland sports. Uh, As always, uh, you know, this guy's been with me for every single episode from number one to number 100. I'm talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Got my first taste of football on Friday, man. High school football kicked off cool. in Ohio. Got to cover a couple games last week, actually. I covered one on Thursday and Friday, and both of our local teams lost in those games. So, uh, you know, didn't go so well for the coverage area, but it was fun to experience high school football. Watching Twitter on Friday nights is always fun. Had some intense games in the area, too. Some some uh, big teams almost lost, and uh had a couple upsets too so it, it was it was a fun kickoff to high school football and it got me really you know amped up for college football which is about to kick off this weekend yeah definitely we are upon it we are talking we're less than a week away from some college football really close to the nfl kickoff um to start everything out though this week we are going to do uh, take Cle- Cle- talk about two hours south of Cleveland to, to Columbus, Ohio, and talk some Ohio State football, since um, most everyone I know from Cleveland is an Ohio State fan, um, or, you know, most people identify with Ohio State if they have to choose a college team in Cleveland. So we're going to do a little Ohio State preview, talk about the college football landscape, and then, of course, talk about some of the, our, our Cleveland teams at, at the end of the podcast. So, um, Chris, just getting it started less than a week away from from Saturday against Bowling Green. Um, What's your general take on on this Ohio State State team approaching the 2016 season? Big fat question mark. I mean, that's what happens when you lose 18 starters from the year before. A great two-year run for the Buckeyes. Uh, One loss really kept them out of the college football playoff. Uh, That was to Michigan State last year. They had a fantastic season otherwise. Um, and then, of course, the national championship the year before. You know, last year we were talked about Ohio State a lot. They were preseason number one, so naturally they got a ton of attention. But the fact of the matter is it was a very easy pick for preseason number one last year. You had the defending national champs return pretty much everyone. Uh, I think they maybe lost three or four starters. Now they're only returning four starters. So, you know, yeah. my have, times have changed. Excuse me, they're returning six starters, um, you know, three on offense, three on defense. Right. So. You know, the, the fact of the matter is uh, there's a big fat question mark on this Ohio State team. They're ranked preseason number six, I think, based on the fact that JT Barrett is one of the most electrifying players in college football and that um, Urban Meyer has such a track record. I mean, in the last four years, they've been 50-4. and four. That is a ridiculous record. They've lost to Virginia Tech, Clemson, and Michigan State twice. By the way, Michigan State being the only Big Ten team to beat Urban Meyer's Buckeyes since he joined uh, the team back in 2012. So just the model of consistency, and it dates back before Urban under Jim Trestle. Really the only year Ohio State hasn't been that good was 2011 when all the sanctions and Jim Trestle being fired made them go 6-6. But since Trestle won that title in 2002, they have been the model program in the NCAA. And I say that even more than Alabama, because Alabama didn't start dominating till around 2009. Ohio State has transcended a decade now. You know, 2002, they won a title. 2014, they won a title. Two different coaches. You know, this program has, has been the model of consistency right up there with Oklahoma. Uh, I'm talking about longevity here. Obviously, Alabama's, you know, the, the king of the crop right now. But Ohio State has just been... You know, you know what you're going to get out of the Buckeyes year in, year out. So I think that plays into it as well. Meyer has recruited very well, so I think people are giving them the benefit of the doubt. But there's no doubt in my mind that there's going to be some growing pains and there are a lot of question marks around this team. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so 
the class that just graduated that Ohio State lost, you know, that was the first official, you know, Urban Meyer stamped class that, uh, you know, led the team to, to a championship kind of unexpectedly. And then they came back for their junior year or their fourth year for, for most of them. And now they're all gone. So they've had, you know, tons of experience on the line. We're not just talking about replacing starters. We're talking about an Ohio State team that has 44 players on the team that have not seen action in an NCAA football game. They haven't played a single down. So this is a, a very green team, albeit one of the most talented teams still, just because of the recruiting classes that Urban Meyer ha- has been able to reel in, you know, always in the, in the top 10, always with some, you know, bona fide, you know, 18 year old studs that, he, that he's bringing into the program. But unlike the class that we just lost, we now have a group uh, that is highly touted, uh, highly ranked, you know, the world is expected of them, but we just don't know. And they don't have that. Uh, they weren't afforded the opportunities that, you know, Joey Bosa was afforded to start as a freshman. And, and most of that class was afforded to start playing really early on. They had to sit behind those guys. So now we have juniors and seniors and, and some sophomores that are now being thrust into responsible positions without the benefit of kind of learning uh, uh, throughout their entire career. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, obviously the number one issue is solved at quarterback, you know, JT Barrett is a Heisman contender and can certainly be one of the best players in the league and having, you know, the quarterback issue solved, you know, fixes everything, especially for, uh, an urban Meyer team that relies on the quarterback doing a number of different things and really sets up the run game. So I'm not really concerned about the loss of Ezekiel Elliott so much because I think with JT Barrett, running that offense with Urban Meyer, running that kind of read spread option offense. The running game is going to be certainly fine, especially with uh, um, what's his face going to <laughs> moving to center. Uh, Pat Eflin, uh, one of the few returning starters. He, he was a guard last year. Now he's going to play center um, and, and big things are expected of him. I think that's going to solidify the run game and, and you're returning on the other side, kind of the, the quarterback of the defense and Raquan McMillan, who looks to be uh, building on his stud sophomore campaign as the middle linebacker, the machine, you know, making all the tackles in the place. So I think they have leadership in place uh, on both sides of the ball, but man, there are just question marks left and right, uh, you know, on the offensive line at wide receiver. And then on the defensive side, especially all their speed and playmaking is pretty much just gone. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, a completely different team taking the field. Uh, I'm not really sure what to expect out of them right now. Yeah, and to add to McMillan, he was a freshman All-American in 2014. So, you know, they do have some very core pieces coming back. You mentioned the linemen. Um, You know, a couple other pieces on defense, uh, Taquan Lewis on the line, and then uh, Gary and Conley, their only guy in the secondary coming back. So they have some solid guys returning. Um, One could argue, though, that these recruits would get more out of going against that last class that just graduated in practice than going against a full 12-game schedule in the NCAA. And I say that kind of jokingly because I understand you can't replace game experience. I mean, you know, you play harder in practice. You obviously don't want someone getting hurt. But the point is, it's not like they were playing. They were playing against a very talented class. So they, they certainly have had that to their advantage. And they've watched that class have succeed and learning from that experience has certainly helped them but you're absolutely right this is a very green team this is a team that has little to no experience on the field and you look at the wide receiving core that is probably the biggest question mark on this offense you're right about the running game Ohio State and running backs man that's their bread and butter it goes back to the 70s the 60s I mean Ohio State is I will be shocked the day that comes when Ohio State doesn't have a decent running attack. I mean, that is what Ohio State has done for so long. So I think it's going to be fine. And Mike Weber, uh, a redshirt freshman who had a lot of hype coming in, uh, kind of like a Chris Beanie-Wells mold. Antonio Williams, another big pounded true freshman. Uh, so they've got some big boys back there who could make an impact very early. But I'm looking at wide receiver because their only returning guys are Corey Smith, 
who has had five catches in 2014 that missed all last year with a leg injury, and Noah Brown, who had one catch in 2014 and missed all of last year with a broken leg. So that's your top two most experienced receivers combining for six catches two seasons ago. So I'm willing to bet one of those nine uh, four-star or better wide receivers uh, are probably going to step up and make a name for themselves. Um, but but then you also look to the H-back position. That's really where their most experienced uh, receiving comes in, Curtis Samuel and Dontrell Wilson. I expect Samuel to be uh, a very big weapon on this Buckeyes team. Uh, he's going to need to step up just a little bit more. Um, certainly has the talent to do it and is a very versatile player, and I would expect those H-backs to have a large role, especially early on as this team tries to find its identity. Yeah, Curtis Samuel uh, is the leading receiver coming back to Ohio State and will we'll kind of fill in in the H-back role that we saw Braxton uh, kind of play in last year. Um, yeah, I, I think they're, you're going to look to un, uh, unproven players to, to supply that, that wide receiving core. Uh, two freshmen might start in Austin Mackin and Benjamin Victor. Uh, they, they might get some meaningful minutes. Those are big, big wide receivers, lengthy dudes that – Barrett uh, might develop some kind of relationship with but you know Noah Spence and Corey Corey Smith are are good options you know the the big things are expected or excuse me Noah Brown not Noah Spence that's another a former Ohio State guy uh, from a few years ago Um, and a big defensive guy yeah yeah (laughs) Um, Noah Brown and Corey Smith though I mean they things were expected of them last year it's not like they're those are two uh, scrubs starting for the Ohio State Buckeyes but you know not as proven as uh, as what was lost last year and Michael Thomas and Braxton Miller so I I do think that that is an area of weakness um I agree with you Mike Weber should just carry that brand of of Ohio State running back as best as he can and and will serve a, a great role um one piece that that will be missing from that Ohio State core um will be Torrance Gibson uh, announced that he was suspended uh, for the entire season. We're still getting some details about what exactly happened, but Chris, what are your thoughts on the loss of him? Uh, It's, I mean, it's big because wide receiver is is a position of need. And and just just to clarify, I wasn't knocking Smith or Brown there, but both of them coming off leg injuries, uh, that's that's obviously a concern um, when when you need them to step up. So it'll be interesting to see if they can live up to the expectations they had last year um, and recover fully from their injuries. If they both can, then that certainly will be a big boost to the receiving core. But yeah, Torrance Gibson, uh, I mean, you, you, when you lose so much in the receiving core, you can't afford to lose a guy that, that Ohio State really thought could be something special. And uh, that's just one 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 less player they have to work with and Briante Dunn a running back probably the most experienced running back coming back was dismissed from the team uh, earlier in the year as well so those are two guys that that they really could have used this year um, but you know what I mean that's why you know Urban Myers had great recruiting classes he's had the top recruiting class in the Big Ten for the last couple years um, this is where you dip into the pipeline and, and show how um how they've developed and Urban Meyer's track record both at Florida and in with his uh, 50 and 4 record at Ohio State has shown that you know it's not like this is his first go around losing a bunch of guys Um, you know Urban Meyer is one of the best in the business I am confident that he will have this team ready to play Um, I don't think Ohio State is going to be a playoff contender this year but I certainly think they will be in the mix for the Big Ten championship yeah, I I I'm leaning that way as well. Um, Torrance Gibson, by the way, six foot four quarterback, dual threat recruit that that transitioned to wide receiver in, in college. Um, I th- I have to imagine that Urban Meyer had big plans for him in that offense with with those kind of abilities. And it wasn't Ohio State that suspend, or excuse me, it wasn't the football team that suspended him. It, it was the university. So again, we're still getting details about exactly what happened with that. But sure, yeah, um, losing him is a big loss. Um, and Urban Meyer is publicly not happy about it. He has made some very pointed comments about the situation. So it will be interesting to see if, if more details unfold there. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of a strange uh, thing going on with that suspension. I uh, usually don't see that uh, public debate uh, <laughs> for players getting suspended. Um, so it'll be interesting very to see. Very odd. That. Yeah. Um, but to that, to kind of looking at the macro season for Ohio State, um, we're talking about a lot of young guys. 
uh, Chris, we're, we're 19 days away from going into Norman, Oklahoma and f- facing the Sooners. Uh, with that inexperience, are, are you, how confident are you that, that the Buckeyes can, you know, win in that big time matchup? Not at all confident. <laughs> I, I think they're going to get hosed by, I, I, look, if Ohio State loses by less than 10 points in Oklahoma against one of the most explosive teams in the nation with a ton coming back and national championship hopes, that's a huge victory. I, I honestly think the Buckeyes are going to get hosed in that game. Yeah, it's not it's not looking good. Um, maybe if this matchup were in November, it would be a different story. But uh, Or know. last year, it would have been fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been a Obviously, that would have been a great game. <laughs> but um, Baker Mayfield, Samaj P. Ryan right there, That plus Joe Mixon as well. Um, that's a lot to, to ask a team to handle in their third game. What will And let's be real. The, the defense only has three guys coming back, too. you got to replace Joey Bosa and, and just a ton. The secondary only has one player. The Oklahoma's going to eat that defense alive. It's the third week. There's no way they're going to be ready for him. I mean, look, I'm not saying Urban Meyer won't have them prepared. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying you have such a green team. You're asking a, a lot of guys in their third ever game to knock off that monster of a team. I, I'm sorry. I, realistically, I just don't think they have a shot. Yeah. All right. So, you know, just kind of playing this game out, uh, we both agree that they're already going to be at maybe 2-1 and one by the end of September. Uh, heading into the rest of the Big Ten, um, do you think that's where their record will sit, or what are some key matchups that you're looking at that that the Ohio State might uh, drop those games as well? Well, let's just be real. Ohio State may be losing a lot, but but Bowling Green and Tulsa shouldn't beat the Buckeyes. Um, you know, I'm not trying to diss them, but there is a hierarchy within FBS, and Bowling Green and Tulsa are just not on Ohio State's level. I understand the Falcons are the defending MAC champs. And yeah. if Bowling Green okay. last year, but no, if Bowling Green last year played Ohio State this year, I would be a little worried. Bowling Green lost its coach. It's lost a ton. It has depth problems too. I don't think it's going to happen. It could be one of those games that starts off interesting because Ohio State's finding its sea legs, but I don't expect the Falcons to win that game, and I don't expect Tulsa to win that game either Ohio State should handle both of those teams relatively easy and the only thing I'll give Bowling Green is that it's week one this is a very new Ohio State team and they had the chip on their shoulder of trying to be the first in-state team to beat the Buckeyes since Oberlin College in 1923 so it's been a while since an in-state school has beaten Ohio State yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to go into any more detail, Chris. I don't think anybody's really uh, given Bowling Green much of a chance to, to win on No, Saturday. neither am I. But, but all I will say is, is it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those nervous games for a quarter and a half. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I, I, I could see, see Ohio State struggling with all these new guys. I could see there be some stumbling blocks, and then that, obviously that just won't bode well for that early trip to, to Oklahoma. Um, but let's be real. They're not going to lose in Columbus to Bowling Green or Tulsa. Uh, so those are those are two for sure um, victories for them. Looking a little bit further, though, they do have a lot of road games. I'm looking at Wisconsin, at Penn State, uh, at Michigan State. Um, are, are, wh- which of those are, are you circling that as, as potential pitfalls for OSU? You're not going to mention Maryland? No. <laughs> no, neither <laughs> no, am I. I, I, I. Of all their road games, that's the one I feel the most confident about. But you're absolutely right. The road games are the ones that stick out to me. And it's not just road games. It's at Wisconsin, at Penn State, and at Michigan State. You know, last year it was great. You know, all those teams came to Columbus, and they only had to really go to Michigan. They played all the other bad teams on the road. This year, not so much. They have to go. Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan State are probably their three biggest rivals after Michigan. So... This is going to be tough. I can't see... I think Ohio State could win 10 games. I think a more realistic expectation is that Ohio State stumbles twice in the Big Ten, and I'm looking at two of those three road games as their stumbling block. My bold prediction is Ohio State still beats Michigan in Columbus. I think Michigan's a little bit overrated. And I'm actually going to go one step further here, Bob. I think the Big Ten champion will have two or three losses, and the Big Ten will be shut out of the college football playoff. You know, I uh, 
that that is a bold prediction but as i was thinking about it and, and playing out scenarios in my head and looking at everyone's schedules i i, I tend to agree with you I, I i really do i think the only we have as much question marks about michigan state as we do ohio state if michigan state is able to reload and and, and win that uh early season matchup against notre dame i think that their schedule uh, falls really nicely they have all home games essentially against all the big teams uh home game against wisconsin against northwestern against michigan and ohio state the only other challenging road game would be that last one against penn state potentially so th- that might be a path into the college football playoff but yeah i don't think ohio state is going to be able to do it with all these road games and with, with, with just the question marks and, and the loss of talent i do think that they're going to have two losses to end the year i i think like you said they will be in the running for a big 10 title um but yeah i i kind of t- intending to agree with you here and i think that the big 10 is, is might be set up to not participate in the playoff this year i think the big 10 is going to be a very fun conference to watch because i honestly don't know who's going to win it i think the teams are pretty even this year but i think that they are going to beat each other up and i think that the committee is going to look at them in a way that they're beating each other up in a mediocre way and not in an sec way if you get what i'm saying so i yeah. think that they're going to beat each other up. It'll be fun to watch for the Big Ten, but I don't think it will win them any points on the national stage. I think they will struggle too much in the non-conference to make a run at the postseason. And I think this year is the year the Big Ten gets shut out. I think the winner of the Big Ten will have two or three losses, and the league as a whole will not produce a playoff team. Yeah, I, I uh, am intending to agree with you. I think that that is where it's trending as well. Um we've talked about a lot of the key players in the, in the big 10 who other than Ohio state are, are you looking at to potentially have a good year or breakout year or, you know, to who, who schedule sets up for them to potentially be that big 10 team representing the, uh, the big 10 in the playoffs. Well, I like Iowa. Um, their non-conference schedule is to be desired. I mean, they do play North Dakota state who is the defending, uh, you know, dynasty down in. Whoa, 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 whoa. But, Who do they play first? Okay, the Miami Red Hawks. They're <laughs> gonna beat them both. And then you know, come on. Uh, I mean, but when North Dakota State is the best, I mean Iowa State's better than North Dakota State. But but their highest profile non-conference opponent, that's not very good. Yeah. Um, you know, Iowa. The big advantage to them is they only have to play Michigan in the cross division. Uh, they don't really play Ohio State or Michigan State. So all they really have to do is win one big game. I mean, that's it. If they beat Michigan, they could run the table. But again, the margin for error for Iowa is so razor thin because their non-conference is awful. And I think at the end of the day, if Iowa's 12-1 and one Big Ten champs, there's no way that that non-conference schedule is going to hold up. So I don't think Iowa's going to run the table. I think Northwestern could beat them. I think Nebraska could beat them. I think Wisconsin could beat them. I think Michigan could beat them. So Iowa has the schedule to go undefeated. The problem is if Iowa loses one game, they are done. And I just don't see them going undefeated this year. Yeah, I don't I don't re- I'm not really a believer in, in in Iowa this year. I think they had a really great story last year. Um I just don't think they have the staying power to 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 make it last and to actually be a a perennial contender I, I i don't see it happening i think it was kind of a a flash in the pan for that i i do think we still have the typical big powers up top in ohio state and michigan state and michigan is ascending there uh people are really high on them i would like to see some more but i think those three teams are obviously two of them are established michigan's reestablishing themselves and then there's a pecking order beneath them and, and like i said i think uh michigan state if they can uh, pull out that upset at Notre Dame uh, even though those te- teams are, are kind of evenly ranked you know obviously an early road game I, I would imagine Notre Dame is going to be favored for that if they can pull that out I think it sets up nicely for for them and potentially crashing the playoff but any other team I, I don't really see it I think like you said they're kind of kind of beat themselves up yeah like I said I think the Big Ten will be fun because they're all on the same level I just don't think that that level is an elite level this year I look at the Big Ten and I don't see last year 
Michigan State and Ohio State instantly jumped out at you as elite teams. They don't have that this year. They don't have a team that instantly jumps out at you. I'm not sold on Michigan. I'm not even sold on Ohio State being number six, to tell you the truth, and I'm a Buckeyes fan. Michigan State lost a ton. Iowa, I mean, last year was a product of a, of a really mediocre schedule. Uh, their only big win before the Big Ten title game was really Northwestern, which isn't going to do it in the eyes of the committee. So when you, when you look at all that, it just, I don't think it bodes well for the Big Ten this year overall. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Um, all right, well, so who who you got winning the Big Ten then? Let's 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 make our pick. Winning the Big Ten, I I think, uh, man, it, I think it's gonna be a bloodbath. Uh, I think Ohio State will pull it out. I think they'll be able to beat Michigan State and probably ruin uh, some big time aspirations of that team. Um, I I think Ohio State will be able to win the Big Ten. Yeah, I got Ohio State over Iowa. I figured just why not pick Iowa. I, honestly, there are like five teams that could win that West Division, though. Yeah. I could I, see Wisconsin. <laughs> I could see Nebraska. I could see Northwestern. Uh, so, but I'm picking Iowa. Why not? Yeah, that sounds good to me as well. So, <laughs> but. All right, let's move to the Big 12. We talked about Oklahoma. Bob, e- even though Ohio State plays Oklahoma, do you think Oklahoma is the favorite to win the Big 12? I, I think so. Um, I don't... I think Baylor is a non-factor this year just from everything that they've gone through in, in the offseason. I don't see how they can rebound it and really be a contender. Um, so that kind of just leaves TCU and Oklahoma State. I just think Oklahoma is better. They proved that last year. They return uh, their star playmakers. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think they're a better team. I think they're going to win the Big 12 uh, pretty handily. They might finish the year ranked number one. I think Oklahoma will win the Big 12. Yes, I agree with you. Um, Is that all you got? That's all I got, man. Okay. Oklahoma's <laughs> I thought there was like going to be a but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no buts. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I got, I got, I got a little surprise for you later on. But uh, we'll go to the Pac-12 now. Who, who you got there? Because the other three conferences had the the championship game. So who you got in the championship game in the Pac-12? Yeah, I think I think Stanford it obviously is the favorite. They're the highest-ranked team in Pac-12. Uh, with Christian McCaffrey coming back, uh, I, I I just think this is the year that that they actually win the Pac-12 and, and kind of solidify themselves as a as a football powerhouse. So I got them winning the Pac-12. Um, in that South Division, it looks like it's just going to be UCLA or USC. Uh, I pick them every year. Probably I'm going to go with USC. Same as me, man. I really like Stanford. I think they're the most underrated team in the preseason poll. I think they should be a top four team, not number eight. Um, so I got Stanford over USC as well. But if Stanford wins out, they certainly will be in the playoff because they do play a pretty significant schedule. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think Stanford will be a playoff team as well. Um, all right, moving to the East Coast uh, from, from the West Coast. Let's go to ACC. Uh, who do you got out there? Well, I got Clemson. I mean, you know, you're bringing back Deshaun Watson. That's really all you need to say. I mean, I don't think they lost too much from last year. I think Clemson will win it again, and I've got them beating North Carolina. Clemson over UNC. Uh, I'll mix it up. Clemson over Miami. I I think uh, they're on the up and up a little bit. They have a really good quarterback who might even be the number one pick next year. So uh, Clemson over Miami, but... Yeah, I think Clemson by a long shot. Their real competition is Florida State, and I think with the quarterback questions FSU has, um, despite Dalvin Cook's greatness, I think Clemson's going to get it. All righty, Bob, your conference now. Who you got in the SEC? You know, we're going to find out a lot about the SEC really quickly because if you look at week one, there are some big-time matchups. I'm looking at Clemson at Auburn, LSU versus Wisconsin, Georgia versus UNC, uh, Ole Miss versus... FSU, UCLA at Texas A&M, and uh, Alabama versus USC. So, I mean, that's a – starting off the bat, that's a lot of SEC Now, that's teams. a non-conference schedule. <laughs> I'm going to tip my cap to the SEC right now. Props to you for scheduling up. That Now, that's a non-conference schedule. Kudos to them. Yeah, it's – um. I looked at that. I, I had to do a double take just how many teams were involved in these big-time games. So, we're going to find out really quickly. I, I have to go with Alabama – there are some huge quarterback questions, but we said that for the past two years and they've made the playoff. I do think Alabama is going to drop a game. Uh, it could happen against USC 
more likely it's going to happen at Ole Miss or at Tennessee or at LSU. But I, I think Alabama is going to win the SEC again. Yeah, when in doubt, pick Nick Saban. How can you bet against the model of consistency down there? I've got Alabama. And you know what, Bob? I'm going to drink the Tennessee Kool-Aid. I've got them winning the East. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the East is really going to pose any kind of threat. I think Tennessee is a fine pick. Um, sure, they're gonna. it's going to be Alabama over Tennessee. I could easily see the East sending like a three-loss team to represent them in that playoff game just because it's such a mess out there. Oh, yeah, the SEC East is definitely a mess. I mean, you, Georgia losing Mark Richt definitely puts a bit of a hole there. I mean, there's some uncertainty around that program for the first time in a while. Um, Florida has some question marks. So uh, certainly uh, a, a wild race, but Tennessee has been building for a couple of years. I think now is the time. It, it bodes well. If they're, if they're going to step up, now is the year to do it. Yeah, and I, I think that the second-best team, and this is kind of a no-brainer, but I do have to say is LSU, and I, I think – that that is going to be one of the marquee matchups alabama lsu um it, it, could oh, it be always a, is yeah it could be a potential you know two top five teams going at it at that point so that'll be a, a game to circle for sure yeah there's no doubt that the sec west is infinitely better than the sec east yeah definitely but, all right bob last year you had like 20 heisman <laughs> front runners yeah. This year, I've only got one. My man is Christian McCafferty. I think he's going to do it this year. He had an uh, unbelievable season last year. I think he pulls it off this year. Who you got this year? I'm going with Deshaun Watson uh, out at Clemson. I, I just think as the quarterback, as that dual threat type guy, we've seen those quarterbacks win uh, more often than not with the hype of last year I, I think it's his to lose and I think he is the favorite right now obviously Christian McCaffrey uh, definitely you know Baker Mayfield as well those were three of the top Heisman candidates from last year all, all losing to Derrick Henry um, so those guys are in it and then just to round out the top five I think Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette are guys to watch as well yeah certainly I think it's going to be a fun Heisman race I think there are actually a lot of really good players a couple guys you didn't mention Royce Freeman of Oregon and even JT Barrett of Ohio State I mean say Ohio State goes 11 and 1 he certainly will be in the conversation so uh, a lot of guys I think could could play their way up but but you named the 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 core five I think those are the guys you're going to watch and then obviously with three of them being finalists last year that's that's a big advantage so it should be a very fun Heisman race as usual a little something extra with so many finalists from last year coming back all right Bob it's the moment we've all been waiting for playoff time who are you for and who you got winning it all yeah I'm kind of bummed because this sounds like really boring because three of my four teams are repeat teams um so obviously i'm I'm gonna be completely wrong because it's the college football and and things just go haywire but as of right now i got oklahoma clemson alabama and then to round that out i'm gonna go with stanford out west and the pac-12 is gonna be back in who you got winning it all oh to win it all I, i think clemson's gonna do it this year well i agree with you on three of those four things i got alabama i got clemson and i've got stanford but I'm about to make the boldest of bold predictions. Not only will Oklahoma not make the playoffs, but the Big 12 will be shut out of the playoffs. That's right. Houston is crashing the party. Week one upset. I'm picking them now. The Cougars will beat the Sooners, run the table, and crash the party. We will have our first group of six team in the Final Four. And I am cheering so hardcore for the Houston Cougars to do it because I want an outsider at the table just to see what would happen I I know it probably will end badly but I really want Houston to pull it off because they're 13-0 they're in the playoffs because they will have beaten Oklahoma they play in a tough enough conference that they can get there I think if they're 13-0 they're in I think they're going to do it because I think they're going to upset Oklahoma in week one it's at home but I don't think they will get to the national final. I've got Stanford beating Alabama for the championship. Interesting. Um, I, I guess if there's never been a better opportunity for, for a non-power conference to crash the playoffs in Houston, um, I, I just think there are a lot stronger teams out there, a lot better that uh, 
are going to be in a position to make the playoff. But I, I, I respect I respect the the audacity of your the boldness of your picks. It, it, hey, I, it's refreshing. Hey man, you brought the gray ho hum playoff bracket, so I had to bring a little color to the table. <laughs> I mean, yours is only one different. But that one is really different. I guess so. I mean, your whole your whole we'll know who is right in the first week essentially. Yeah, because Oklahoma plays Houston week 1, right there. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. We got some it, we already have skin in the game. It is in Houston. That that game is in Houston, and I'm shocked that it's a noon game and not a primetime game cuz that's a big game. Now, is it at Houston's college stadium or is it at uh the texan stadium it's at the texan stadium okay so it's one of those like uh kickoff third party games right. technically i mean yeah i mean it's in houston i'm sure there's going to be a lot of oklahoma fans there but it's in houston so there is an advantage playing in your home state yeah very true they don't have to travel i, I don't think it has the same effect they're not in their home stadium though so i think it, 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 it lessens it a little bit but yeah i, I think oklahoma because they're traveling it, it does lessen that you know with those games and, you mean, split up the, the tickets 50 50 anyway so houston did is playing cincinnati in the non-conference so another well no, no that's not a non-conference game never mind i'm just so used to cincinnati being in the big east and houston being in the conference usa right. it's, it's all messed up and, and it's going to be even weirder when houston and cincinnati join the big 12 next year because that's probably what's going to happen <laughs> so and the big 12 is definitely going to come knocking if houston beats oklahoma shuts the conference out of the playoff and say okay you got to join our side now because this is never going to happen again yeah we'll see that that'll be interesting i i think this for for a kickoff week i think this might be the best college football kickoff week we've ever had there are tons tons of marquee matchups it's gonna be fun i mean i usually don't get to uh, to watch a lot of week one because um every labor day weekend um have my big fantasy football draft but um yeah I, i certainly will be keeping my eye on it and and i'm cheering hardcore for the houston cougars to pull this off because i I won an outsider at the table yeah why not i mean they're who doesn't like an underdog so all right i'm excited for college football it will be great uh, we'll have lots to talk about uh, next Monday with with some results uh, of those big time games. Um, but traveling back up seventy one back home to Cleveland uh, with college football starting one week in less than a week. Uh, that means we're one week closer to the NFL kickoff and the Browns starting their season. Um, the Browns had a, had a very busy day and, and a busy couple of days really. Um, I guess starting with the biggest news is that they traded Barkevius Mingo to the Patriots for a fifth round draft pick. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on that move? Well, it's good that they got a fifth round pick for him because I think that that surprised a lot of people that they were able to get anything for him. But then then you, you realize he was a top 10 pick in 2013 and it's not equal value. You much would have rather had him pan out. Um, a disappointment with the Browns, but the fact that the Patriots won him tells me that there's still something there. So, I think he should fit well with New England because they generally get guys like that to play above their potential or to their potential. So I think it's a win-win. He needed a change of scenery, and the Browns are clearly um, looking to the future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're just done with Barkevius Mingo. Uh, you know, reports that he put on weight finally in his fourth year, that he was going to have a bounce back here with Ray Horton. I mean, this is a guy that was averaging a sack a season the past couple of years so it's time to move on the fact that they got a fifth rounder like you said is pretty amazing um i know people are always uh always flinch when the a football player goes to new england and like oh well he's going to revive his career just like randy moss but i i really do think it's kind of 50 50 with their hits and misses uh, there are a lot of guys that they bring in that just get cut in in the next couple of weeks or, or don't really make an impact um Barkevius Mingo by all means has tons of talent that's why he was drafted in the top 10 so the Patriots are as equipped as any team to reclaim some of that talent um and the Patriots were in need that's why they gave up the fifth fifth pick or the fifth round pick uh with Ninkovich uh, out for the first half and, and Jabal Sheard battling some some leg injuries one of the reclamation projects that another one that came from the Cleveland Browns, by the way, but with both those guys out, they needed some pass rush. So this was kind of a, a win, win, a win, win for both. 
I think if Mingo stood in Cleveland, I mean, he would just be off the team in a year without any kind of compensation. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about New England. You know, they've had a lot of success stories. You're right. But there there are enough, uh, a lot of failures in there, too. A lot of guys that come in and don't exactly work out. Chad uh, Johnson slash Okoshosinko being one of them. Reggie he wasn't Wayne. cut. You know, yeah. And so a lot of guys who just didn't work out. But, um, you know, hey, it, it, Bill Belichick has definitely shown that he can get the most out of guys. So if there is a perfect situation for a guy like Mingo, uh, this would be it. So hopefully he takes advantage of the opportunity. Um, yes. but Bob, it, it's been a bloody Monday, man. A lot of roster cuts today. Paul Kruger headlining the list of Austin Davis, Kwan Williams, Travis Coons. Uh, and then they trade their punter, Andy Lee, to the Panthers for a 2018th fourth round pick bob they got more for andy lee yeah. than they did barkevious mingo yeah pretty amazing um you know andy lee is one of the highest paid punters one of the most valued punters and the 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 browns themselves gave up a seventh round pick for him to bring him from san francisco but um swapping punters giving up a seventh round additional seventh round pick to the panthers but getting back a fourth round pick in 2018, that seems like a coup for me. Um, very questionable for the Panthers to to make such a move. I understand the value in field position, but my goodness, like <laughs> that's that's way too much. That's almost like uh, Tampa Bay taking a kicker in the second round this year. Um, kind of ridiculous. Um, for Paul Kruger, uh, so in three years with the Browns, we had 2013 where he had four and a half sacks, 2014 where he had 11 sacks and 2015 and two and a half sacks. So, uh, I'm crying no tears for Paul Kruger being off this team. Uh, it's, it's really, it's nothing. He's 30 years old. He's one of the highest paid players on the Browns. Uh, clearly the Browns have a youth movement going on. Um, Paul Kruger is, is, is a non-factor now and he will be a non-factor if these if these young guys uh develop so get rid of him now save some cap space i'm all for it opens up a hole for one of those young guys to fill his spot uh I, i'm not sad about it at all yeah and looking down the line i mean it's no surprise austin davis got cut though with tony romo reportedly missing six to ten weeks i'm surprised that the josh mccown trade rumors didn't kick up a little bit and they didn't swing a deal before this deadline and maybe keep Austin Davis. Uh, but who knows? I mean, I, look, it's one thing to say, hey, it's a perfect trade fit. You know, the two teams have to both want to trade the guy or trade for the guy. So um, it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. But um, no surprise that Austin Davis got cut. The, the, the lack of the trade talk ramping up a little bit was a little surprising. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, with the trades that they've made, I think the Browns have four additional draft picks in the 2017 draft. That doesn't count any compensatory picks that could get additional up to four. So that would be about 15 draft picks for next year. They've already added two additional picks for 2018. So we're talking about maybe 15 picks next year and nine picks uh, the year after that. Um, They have a treasure trove at this point. It is clear what the philosophy of this new regime is right now. They drafted, what, 14 players last year. Um, They have 15, as you said, possibly up to 15 next year. They're definitely getting a lot of compensatory picks, just the way they've treated these last couple free agencies um, with all the guys they've lost. Uh, Yeah, it's significant, but the key is now – they got a hit. I mean, the, you know, we how many times do we talk about, oh, the Browns have two first-round picks, oh, the Browns have some good picks, and and now that, you know, Barkevius Mingo's traded, you know, how many first-rounders are still on this team from 2011 to 2014? Justin Gilbert. That's it. <laughs> I mean, they make, I think, eight picks in that span, or six picks in that span, yeah. and they only have Justin Gilbert. Yeah. Now, one of them was a mulligan on Trent Richardson, but he turned into Johnny Manziel. So the point is, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have the picks, but they got to draft them and develop them. Hopefully we see progress come week 17 
and that we see these picks developing, multiple picks, not just one or two. You've drafted 14 guys. Let's see seven or eight of them develop into something useful. I'm not talking superstars. I'm talking develop into something useful here. Not everyone has to be a superstar. You got to develop depth and you got to develop reliability. Those are two things the Browns just have not had since 1999. Yeah, let me ask you a, a quick would you rather. Would you rather Justin Gilbert make the Pro Bowl this year or Robert Griffin make the Pro Bowl? I'd say Justin Gilbert. I respect that. I think that would be more worthwhile as well. But I was just thinking about that with Justin Gilbert being the only first round draft pick left from uh, 2011 through 14. Um, I, I kind of wish that he would kind of right the ship <laughs> and prove his worth. I mean, I want him to right the ship, not just because he's a top 10 pick, but because, I mean, he, he's a player on the team now. I mean, you know, forget where he's drafted. I mean, you want him to, you want everyone who comes in here to step up and be that hidden gem. And, you know, the Browns just have not, done that consistently enough you look at all the good teams they come away from every draft with multiple players who can help they're not always going to get an Odell Beckham Jr. or an Aaron Donald but they're guys who can step up and play and the Browns just have not been able to do that consistently enough to build a cohesive football team yeah for sure um, all right, uh, just to wrap up real quick, you know, third preseason game, Josh Gordon, two catches over 80 yards and a touchdown. Corey Coleman played, I think, two targets and, and no catches. Um, any other takeaway other than, you know, Griffin the Gordon? I honestly wasn't able to watch any of it because it was a uh, high school football Friday. So I, I didn't gotcha. get to see I didn't get to see any of it. Yeah, I mean, those two passes to Gordon were really the only things worth seeing. Terrell Pryor had a relatively quiet night. Corey Coleman was disappointing, so um, good to see Gordon back. But uh, and that defense is going to struggle. Oh yeah, they they're going to struggle to find consistency all year. Like I've been saying all preseason long, my goal for the Browns defense is simple: just get better as the year goes on. Hopefully, those last six games they start playing like a really good unit. Um, but there's going to be some growing pains. Yeah. All right, well, uh, moving on to the only team playing real relevant games right now, uh, as always, uh, in, in August, um, and that's the Cleveland Indians. Not a fun time to talk about them coming off some really poor performances against Oakland and the Rangers. I mean, Chris, th- these guys can't buy a run. Uh, what What's wrong with them right now? Well, it's just another off week. I mean, how many times have we come on the heels of a good week and then had a downer or a downer and then had a good week? I mean, you know, for one, the two Oakland losses, you know, you'd like, you got to take that series. That's a team you should beat. The Texas series, I mean, you want to split, but Texas is the best team in the AL. I mean, you're fighting with them, so they certainly can take three out of you. You know, it's disappointing that they got beat down in their two losses, and then the third one, came you know they left the bases loaded in the ninth they couldn't even put the ball in play to give themselves a chance so uh, it was tough but but you got to take the good and the bad I mean they won a couple games on the on that winning streak on, at home where they probably should have lost they came up in the clutch so you know this, this is baseball it's I'm not getting too high or too low on them because they're still leading Detroit by a significant margin four and a half games if Detroit catches Cleveland or if they pull in within one then I will start to worry a little bit but right now if the Indians take care of business at home again against the Twins who have had their number and the Miami Marlins they can take care of both of those series and and keep Detroit at bay I think they'll be okay yeah uh most concerning from that stint was in in six of those seven games they scored a combined total four runs so obviously that is the issue and uh the seventh game was a a 12 to 1 blowout win for them so that was good but sandwiched in between where were not a lot of runs i think uh the glimmering hope was danny salazar's performance uh to close out that that texas series only two earned runs and 10 strikeouts um that looks a lot better more like the Danny Salazar we saw the start off the season um, that is a good sign yes they absolutely need him to write the ship because the strength of this team is starting pitching they've got three aces and two really strong guys at the back end Mike Clevenger's also pitched well out of the bullpen in long relief uh, you know cleaning up Danny Salazar's messes the the two previous starts so um, you know the Indians that that definitely is the 
biggest takeaway from last week, the biggest positive takeaway is that Salazar looks like he's turning the corner. I believe he's on a personal leave uh, or maternity leave uh, for a bit here, but but obviously that's not that's something he's going to come back from. It's not like he's on the DL or anything. So um, certainly good to see him kind of right the ship a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So uh, opening up a series against the Minnesota Twins. So, uh, man, <laughs> Hopefully they can write the ship against the Twins because we don't want to see uh, uh, another week uh, of what we saw from the Tribe this uh, I, this past week. I want to see them just obliterate the Twins. I really do. I, I'm so sick of hearing about how the Twins own the Indians. It, it's one of those things that just doesn't make any sense. The Twins are not a good team this year. I want to see the Indians obliterate them this, this week. I hope so. I hope so. The Indians are the only team in the MLB not to win, not to lose uh, over three consecutive games. Now that is impressive. That's something you can hang your hat on. Yeah, I uh, I thought that was a really good uh, a really good stat, and, and gives me some comfort in, in what what's going on. So, well, it's why you're four and a half games up on Detroit and and swelling the playoffs. I mean, that's consistency right there. You know, no one's gonna win them all, but they keep the losing streaks to a minimum, and it also shows how strong their starting rotation is. Yeah, definitely. All righty, Bob. Well, let's talk about some Buckeyes in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott visiting a pot store. Oh, Bob, I mean, with all that goes on in the NFL and marijuana, this is just not a smart move. Yeah, you're you're a highly paid first-round draft pick in the NFL. When I say highly paid, I understand there's not a lot of guaranteed money, but you're still a millionaire at this point. You can have a pot guy that can just go get you pot. Like th- that's really the, on- that's the only issue I have. It's a non-story other than the fact, like just have a guy go get it for you. You know, I have no issue with you smoking it. I totally understand the benefits for, you know, NFL players in particular as like a pain reliever, but don't, don't get yourself photographed going to a pot store. It just is unwelcome news. It's just common sense, man. Like you said, it's like, look, no, no millionaire should get a DUI. I don't care if your car is parked at the bar. I'll be Get your pot cab. guy. I'll be your pot guy for sure. Like oh, there's something <laughs> right. Like, like, come on, man. Like, just like, you can't be doing this stuff. Like, I have no problem what people do behind their closed doors as long as they're not harming other people. You know, I mean, you know, n- nothing like that. But come on, man. You got to know what the public perception is of marijuana, especially with athletes and all that's happened to Josh Gordon and other athletes like him. You you got to be smart, man. Just just be smart. Don't put yourself in that situation. That's all. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, another Buckeye ending his drama, Joey Bosa finally signing with the Chargers, um, ending probably one of the most bizarre holdouts in the NFL. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? This is the dumbest holdout ever. I, I mean, you're slotted into a salary. I know he's going for guaranteed money, but I, I still don't really understand what all he gained like he couldn't have gained that much more i mean instead of like 80 percent or 85 percent okay now all 100 percent is guaranteed but i I read somewhere that that even if he had taken the 80 or 85 the rest of it would be guaranteed like next march or something like that so so all you did was waste your entire preseason for what like six months i i don't get it i i'm sorry this is one of the dumbest holdouts ever yeah, definitely. I think it um, inhibits his ability to be a week one starter. I, I'm sure he was probably slotted in that position being drafted so highly and being Joey Bosa, but uh, it never bodes well for these holdouts. You, you often see guys just struggling and often getting injured. So I, I hope it, I hope that doesn't happen to him, but um, that's that happens more often than not with these holdouts. So uh, it's not a good sign. Mm- this was not nearly as bad as Michael Crabtree's, who actually missed NFL games. But the fact of the matter is, that holdout set Michael Crabtree back at least two years. Yeah, definitely. It's it's super important to get off on the right foot, and Joey Bosa certainly uh, intentionally did not do that. So, um, hopefully, he's able, his talent is able to kind of compensate for that. Um, looking at the NFL preseason, it seems like injuries are stacking up. You know, Tony Romo, we talked about out for over half of the season his his with the back injury man i think he might be done to be honest i mean two broken collarbones back yeah way too many times yeah i don't i don't think it looks good i mean he bounced back from that back injury amazingly two years ago but 
know, two broken collarbones and now another back injury. He might be done. That's concerning. Uh, AJ Green hurt his knee. Uh, not, um, not going to miss a lot of time for that. But still, uh, Chris, are you concerned with the amount of injuries that are happening in the NFL with this preseason, or is it just that high-profile guys are getting hurt? It's it's preseason as usual. Look, last year it was Jordy Nelson and uh, Kelvin Benjamin. You know, every year there's going to be someone. It's just the nature of the beast. It's a violent game. There are big hits. You can't do anything about it. Um, I I'm not trying to sound you know pessimistic and dark here, but it's just it's just the reality of the situation. You know, we didn't even mention Dion Lewis from New England who might be out indefinitely. Um, I don't think he was hurt in a preseason game, but he had a setback. So, uh, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is, you know. The NFL is the most violent team sport out there right now. And, you know, you're not going to make it through four preseason games, even if they are just preseason games without, you know, a couple of significant injuries. So, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. But, you know, fortunately, A.J. Green's injury doesn't sound too serious. Tony Romo, man, I mean, the guy has struggled with all these injuries throughout his career. He's been such a great player for Dallas. Um, but when you start injuring your back multiple times, uh, that's when you really got to consider your future. And I, yeah. I don't think – I think he's got to seriously think about retiring. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it might be time for Tony Romo. I, I hope he thinks long and hard about whether it's worth coming back for, for the long-term health because it looks like it might be a long-term issue. Um, yeah, the injuries – I mean, obviously this is going to reopen the argument for shortening the preseason, but if you have two a two-game preseason, guys are still going to get hurt. Um, it, the NFL is just a violent game. Uh, I don't, I think Jordy, I know Jordy Nelson got hurt in training camp. I'm not sure if Kelvin Benjamin got actually hurt during a preseason game, but regardless, it's just Let's in see. practice it, in these preseason games, even though you're going at 75%, it's a violent game. Guys get hurt. Um, you don't want to see the dirty plays. I mean, Connor Shaw might be done for the year in Chicago because a defensive lineman got really aggressive on the tackle, but still it's a violent game. That might be a, a lineman that's fighting for a roster spot. So uh, it, it, it's just, it's just part of the game. I don't think there's anything to combat it. Um, no, you can't, you can't combat it. It's, it's the NFL. I mean, you can't combat it. And even in practice, you know, you're going to have some contact. It's going to happen. I mean, there's, there's no way to avoid it in, in this, in this kind of sport. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. Uh, U.S. Open getting started. Chris, what, what, what's the takeaway on that? Tell us, talk, tell us about the U.S. Open. All right. So Serena Williams is the favorite, and so is Novak Djokovic. I mean, Djokovic has been struggling all summer, but I still think he's the favorite being number one. And then, and then you kind of kind of have to put Andy Murray as a co-favorite because he's the hot hand right now. My bold prediction is none of those three people will win it. I think we're going to get two fresh faces on both sides of the draw. Um, I'm pulling for Madison Keys because I think she's got the potential to be a number one on the women's side. She's an American. I think she will take the torch from Serena when she eventually retires. Um, so I'm pulling for her. I couldn't tell you who's going to win on the men's side, but I just think I just got a feeling that there's going to be two people that we haven't heard of before, or the general you know non-tennis fans haven't heard of before. Um, there are a lot of good guys bubbling up on the men's side. Um, that that you you might see a transition over the next couple of years because Roger Federer isn't playing, Rafael Nadal is playing, but he's had so many injuries that he's essentially at the last leg of his career. Murray's still in his prime, Djokovic still in his prime, but they're waning towards getting out of their prime, entering that second phase like Federer's been in. So there is going to be a void on the men's side in the next year or two, and I think that this U.S. Open might give a preview of things to come in the future. And I think we're going to get some some fresh faces in holding the trophy. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the flow of performances, you know, Serena Williams is on a downward trend right now. I'm not saying that she's a, not the, the best women's tennis player in the game right now or ever. Um, she still is. Um, she just is kind of trending down and, and has been battling some nagging injuries uh, by reports. So uh, that means the time has been no time has been riper than ever for somebody to step in and win the major uh, on the women's side with, um, with Serena just a, a little bit weaker than what she normally is um, I don't know enough about the field on the men's side other than those big guns to make a bold prediction so I'm just gonna go with Djokovic yeah I couldn't tell you I'm not gonna make a bold prediction my bold prediction is I'm picking against the favorites that's my bold prediction gotcha cool I know it's not much of a prediction 
but it's a bold prediction. Because <laughs> a- Andy Murray's playing fantastic tennis right now. Sure. I'm not a huge Andy Murray fan, but he's playing fantastic tennis right now. So I, I actually think he's the favorite over Novak Djokovic. Um, but I don't think either of them will win it. All right. We will, we will have to see. We shall see. We will continue to update the U.S. Open because I love it because it's on normal time. There's no crazy European time shifts. I can actually watch a lot of it in prime time. It's one of my favorite tennis tournaments of the year. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to football, too, and I know you guys are. Next week, guess what? We're going to have our Browns and NFL preview. So come back for that. Bob and I will be here, as always, talking Cleveland sports on Cleet Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You can come to FenleyRoadSports.com and listen to our podcast. Click on the little iTunes link and please subscribe. Give us a good rating if you enjoy. And uh, come back for more next week and every week um, here on Cleet Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at FenleyRoadSports or on Instagram at FenleyRoadSports. And just remember, FenleyRoadSports.com, the home of Cleet Talk, where we talk Cleveland sports every single week. Until next week. Go Tribe and Buckeyes. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you, Chris. Happy 100. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob. Happy 100.